You are listening to Uncommentary. So I want to talk to you about one of my favorite bookstores. Hearts and Minds Books is located in Pennsylvania. I've never been there, but I met the owner, Byron Borger, online, I think via Twitter. And um, I want to tell you why I use Hearts and Minds as often as I can. Uh, First, I'm a huge fan of independent booksellers. Uh, You know as well as I that when the great behemoth Amazon finally uh, began its quest to take over the world, um, that it is easy to order from Amazon, have the books delivered directly to your door. Uh, But over the course of several years, as Amazon was growing, a lot of independent booksellers, mom-and-pop type shops, uh, they really suffered, and many of them went out of business. Well, there's been a resurgence, and I'm really glad about that. Uh, And one of my favorites is Hearts and Minds Minds Books. And so if you'll go to heartsandmindsbooks.com, now this is what's simple about it. You're not going to see an inventory page. You're not going to see – you don't shop on heartsandmindsbooks.com in the way that you would at, say, barnesandnoble.com. Um, basically go to the inquiry page, uh, and you can send a message to Byron and ask, is a certain book available? Now they have hundreds of thousands of titles they can get, but that's where you start. Um, then you can go to the order page and you literally type in the name of the book that you want and the author, whether you want hardback or paperback, uh, and they'll respond to you and let you know what the availability is. Uh, how much shipping is going to be for your shipping options. Uh, And you say, well, doesn't that take a little bit of extra time? It does take a little bit of extra time. So if you need your book tomorrow, this may not be the route that you want to go, although they can ship overnight. But when you know you have some books coming up, whether they're textbooks or whether there's some other books, unless it's a special order or a self-published type of title that are harder to get, uh, if it's a normal book, uh, they can probably locate it for you. So you can go to the inquiry form and ask, Then you go to the order form and type in the information and uh, respond to all the information they ask for, and uh, they'll get back with you. And if you mention uncommentary in the uh, order blank, then uh, you'll get 20% off any title. You can also subscribe to the book notes where they feature several books uh, in each note with reviews, and you can order those through booksandheartsandminds.com as well. Uh, But I really encourage you to check them out, especially if if only 10% of your book orders uh, you switch over to to them. That'll be huge for them, and it won't cost you that much more. Uh, and I'm trying to do at least that. And so I encourage you, heartsandminds.com, and mention Uncommentary Podcast for a 20% discount on most items, and they'll let you know when it applies. If you've listened to recent episodes of Uncommentary, I'm thinking specifically of episode 39 with uh, Robert Erickson and ep- episode 40 with Matthew Arbo. Uh, and I'll pause right here to say, if you haven't listened to those, I would strongly encourage you to listen to those before you listen to this one, if possible. Uh, end of parenthetical. Uh, we talked about theologians in the church under uh, Hitler and the Nazi, Nazi regime. Uh, we talked about uh, the response of some of the church via the Barman Declaration. Uh, and today I'm going to be talking to a, uh, an author. He's a sociologist, um, and a professor at Clemson University who has co-written a book about Christian nationalism. Um, So this has been a growing concern of mine. It's um, so if you go back to Christian reconstruction, or if you go back to theonomy where you have overt uh, attempts to impose uh, Christian explicitly Christian worldview and or legal system on the secular government of the United States, creating in effect a, uh, a churchly or a, kingdom of God type uh, living arrangement. Uh, 
then uh, that feeds a little bit of my concern uh, about the influence of Christian nationalism, uh, a thought process where we are trying to institute uh, the laws of God, uh, specifically in the Mosaic Covenant, uh, onto uh, a nation, a, a, uh, a geopolitical entity in the 21st century, uh, namely, in this case, the United States. So um, I'm speaking to Andrew Whitehead, and we're going to talk about Christian nationalism. And so uh, they did a ton of research on this. This is not uh, a book of theology. This is a book of, of study, uh, study of the populace. And so they surveyed people and collated the results. And some of the results, I think, you'll find a little bit uh, surprising. I know I certainly did. Uh, but one of them is not surprising, and that is this kind of hybrid of a uh, of a Christianity with the civil religion uh, that basically allows all Americans or as many Americans as who want to claim to be uh, believers in God to claim to be believers in God uh, without it even necessarily being the um, the Christian God or the God who has revealed himself in the scriptures, the Holy Bible. So I sometimes refer to this generic God as the God of the Grammys, where people stand up at the Grammys, uh, and no matter how uh, sexually explicit uh, their album is that they won a Grammy for, they'll stand up and thank God uh, for giving them the whatever uh, and, and allowing them to win that reward. So uh, I just generically call that God the God of the Grammys, and Christian nationalism really uh, features a God of the Grammys uh, type of a deity where uh, God is not uh, as he's defined himself in scripture. Uh, he is as he is defined by the populace in this synch uh, synchronization, uh, I don't know what the word is, hybrid of Christianity and patriotism slash love of country slash civil law slash cultural influence. Uh, and so this is this is not new, but there, there is, I think, kind of a resurgence of it in, uh, of late. And so um, I'm really happy that I was glad to get uh, Andrew Whitehead, uh, author of Christian Nationalism, uh, co-author, associate professor of sociology at Clemson University. Have you ever gone out and kissed that rock in the stadium? Isn't that what they do before the football games? <laughs> no, I haven't. They have it under uh, lock and key. Because I guess amazing. a couple of years ago, somebody tried to like break it up. And so the only people that touch it are the football players right before a game. That's so, amazing. Yeah. yeah. Can't get near it. <laughs> BA in psychology from Purdue, MA in sociology from Baylor, and a PhD in sociology from Baylor University as well. A bunch of peer-reviewed publications, which the average public doesn't even know exist. Sorry about that, dude, but at least your people <laughs> know they're out there. Exactly. Uh, your research on Christian nationalism and childhood disability uh, have been featured in the Washington Post, CNN Today, Huffington Post, and others. Your first book will probably just be out as this podcast drops, Taking America Back for God, uh, releasing in February slash March 2020. The first comprehensive empirical analysis of Christian nationalism in the United States. Uh, you're married, it says, and have three kids. Is all that accurate? That is accurate. And to um, my uh, co-author, Sam Perry, at the University of Oklahoma, um, yeah, we wrote that book together. So Excellent. Well, I want to acknowledge him as well. Andrew Whitehead, welcome to Uncommentary. Yeah, well, thank you for having me. I'm, I'm really excited. So uh, this is a big subject. It's a subject that uh, is of interest to me. Um, I have attempted in some small way on social media to talk about maybe it's time to distinguish between nationalism with a little n as being something related to patriotism or hoping that we win the Olympics 
uh, and nationalism with a capital N being something a little more uh, defined philosophically. But you've done some research on Christian nationalism, which uh, is really of importance to me as a pastor. So I'm really excited about the interview. I'm excited about your book coming out. Uh, So let's start by letting you define some terms that are going to be important to this conversation. Yeah, that sounds great. Um, So as we think about and understand Christian nationalism, um, what we're really talking about is a cultural framework. And so we see it as a lens, really, through which Americans see and interpret their social worlds. And what it does is it idealizes and advocates for a fusion of Christianity and American civic life. So Christian nationalism really is a collection of myths and traditions and symbols and narratives and value systems that come together and coalesce um, around this desire to see Christianity privileged in the public sphere. And um, one thing that we're careful to kind of mention and, and designate is that the Christianity of Christian nationalism um, is it, it contains much more than just the idea of orthodox, maybe Christian beliefs. Mm-hmm. But really, it's in this definition, it's it's a bit of a dog whistle. So to a certain population, when they hear Christian, really what it means is people like us. Mm-hmm. And then in the book, we kind of um, lay out and show how people like us really is built around um, creating and idealizing a certain type of American identity, which usually is white, native-born, culturally Christian. Um, and so when you hear the Christian and Christian nationalism, it carries a lot more baggage than just what we might think of as you know historical Christian tradition. Um, so we're not just talking about people who um, – think that or who hold to a position that America uh, was founded as a Christian nation. So a lot of people will, you know, quote George Washington or they'll quote, you know, John Jay or some other founder Mm -hmm. who says, you know, that only through the providence of God could this have happened or something along those lines. And even some are even more explicitly Christian and actually talk about Jesus. Uh, But you're talking about something different than a person who says, hey, you know, America was founded as a Christian nation and we should probably try to keep those principles or something like that. uh, Christian nationalism goes beyond that, right? Well, I think in some ways it does. And I think this is another thing with Christian nationalism that we try to um, measure and then make a case for is that really it's a continuum. And so you have all Americans at some point um, are kind of on this continuum where you know, the narrative of, you know, we're, we were founded as a Christian nation that you mentioned, mm-hmm. that is a part of this. So okay. that narrative is a key part of Christian nationalism and how strongly you embrace that. Um, but there are other aspects, too, that kind of um, are, are attached to this as well beyond the narrative. Um, and so, you know, no matter where you fall on this um, spectrum, um, we find that knowing where that is tells us a lot about how you see the world and, and how you act within it. Um, but yeah, the narrative is a key part of it. Um, and so you have some Americans that are, you know, maybe more accommodating of it and think, yeah, we should, we should be a Christian nation or we were founded that way. Christian Christianity is important, but then you have some that are saying, no, it needs to be, um, you know, privileged in the public sphere above and beyond even any other religious faith or anything like that. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's a part of it, but yeah, it does go beyond it a bit. So how does um 
How does Christian nationalism look in the public sphere? Obviously, this is it, it's hard to, I think, kind of define it as something that's private because it has just huge uh, public and political implications. Uh, how yeah. does it look uh, out in the, the real live world? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And I think, too, it's something that uh, Sam and I have thought a lot about and other colleagues, you know, writing in this area where, you know, many times I don't think it, it's as though Americans are moving through their daily lives and thinking, well, we're a Christian nation. And so I should be for this or against this. <laughs> um, but I think that as they, um, you know, as they go to church or as they listen to politicians um, or as they watch the news, I think it is it is a part of that kind of lens through which they're not actively thinking about it, mm-hmm. but they're um, it's a framework through which they interpret what's happening around them. And um, the reason I think we can we can say that is as we talk to them or as we ask them questions on our large national surveys, um, we can see over and over that where they fall on the spectrum. Um, really is predictive of how they, you know, will either be supportive of a certain political policy or against it. Um, but I think another way that you can really see it acting out in the, you know, quote unquote real world is to listen to some of our politicians and especially, um, you know, the the administration in the White House now mm-hmm. is that there's a lot of times where they will um, actively use Christian nationalist rhetoric and they're speaking to a certain um, proportion of the population that, um, will understand that rhetoric mm. and respond to it as as they would like to see them respond to it. And so, um, and it's not just on the political right, um, on the political left too. You know, they're the narrative of of a Christian nation, or at least the narrative of a um, a country that has equality around religion. Um, you know, through the years, that's been popular as well. So it's something that really is um, diffused across the population. And in our politics right now, we can. That's probably the easiest place to see it. Okay, that's really interesting. And I want to, I wanna, if you can unpack that a little bit, because I think most people, at least most of the people in the circles that I uh, both run in and watch, would tend to think that Christian nationalism is exclusively a right product or inhabits the right exclusively. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I really do not think most people would think of any formulation of a Christian nationalism that would be visible uh, to the left. In fact, that the people on the right would almost say that the people on the left would actively work against any kind of Christian thinking of nationalism or any other kind. Yeah. <clears throat> Can you give a couple of examples on each side uh, of yeah. what you, your research showed? This is a Christian nationalistic tendency on the left and on the right. Yeah, yeah, I'll try. And and I think, too, um, yeah, so what we'll see and, and what people usually assume is, so we really try to talk in terms of, of Christian nationalism mm-hmm. So um, as the framework rather than labeling certain groups or people Christian nationalists. Gotcha. Um, because with talking about the framework, we can see and, and it kind of underscores the fact that it can be used in different ways for different groups and it can mean something different in different groups. So, um, you know, a couple examples of how it might work really powerfully on the quote unquote, you know, political right is we find Americans who embrace Christian nationalism, who in the book we call ambassadors, um, as these people um, or ambassadors are much more likely to oppose gun control uh, legislation, let's say. Um, They're much more likely to um, say that they fear atheists um, or other religious minorities. And so those are things that um, we might associate with the political right as we hear some of the rhetoric of, you know, 
being a, a country that is founded on Christian beliefs and um, you don't want to you know don't want to let the godless secularists take over right, the country right. that type of thing. Um, but what we find too is that uh, one example um, that we have is as we look and take one of our measures of Christian nationalism and look and compare how it operates um, for white Americans versus African Americans we see that it can work differently um, in these different groups. And so for African-Americans who um, maybe are scored more highly on this Christian nationalism measure um, and say that, you know, being Christian is a, is a key part about being American, they're more likely to interpret um, racial inequality as, um, you know, the result of structural inequality mm-hmm. where, you know, there are things that um, have obviously or have been perpetrated against African-Americans over the course of our history that this is why we see these inequalities. Wherefore, white Americans who say that being Christian is central to being um, an ideal American or a true American, they're more likely to say, well, racial inequality is due to, you know, individual failings or, um, you know, that African-Americans may be um, aren't as smart as other Americans, mm. something like that. And mm. so we can see that for two groups, it can be interpreted quite differently and, and have different political outcomes and ways that they might um, engage the political sphere. Are either, um, you've mentioned the, uh, the desire to keep or recognize Christianity as a, uh, as the privileged uh, religious expression mm-hmm. in the United States. Um, yeah. what are some, uh, so does this play itself out as, uh, opposition to, um, if not overt opposition to freedom of religion for say Muslims and Jainists or whoever, uh, mm-hmm. at least some kind of, um, uh, implicit, uh, lack of support or a passive lack of support for others who would claim first amendment free freedoms of religion. How does that look, uh, when Christian nationalism, is talking about other religions in the public sphere. Yeah, no, you're right on. Um, What we find over and over is that um, as Americans more strongly embrace Christian nationalism, they're much uh, less likely to um, want to allow other religious faiths to um, be able to, uh, you know, go into the public sphere and express themselves in the public sphere. Um, they're much more likely to say that the type of when they say religious freedom or we want to see religion represent the public sphere, what they are talking about is they want to see Christianity or at least those symbols that they see as important mm-hmm. to Christianity in the public sphere, not mm-hmm. just any religion. So one example is, um, you know, seeing the Ten Commandments in courthouses right. as we talk to Americans um, and ambassadors of Christian nationalism. They definitely think it should be in courthouses, but uh, you know, during the the winter holidays, we should see Christmas trees, but mm-hmm. we shouldn't see menorahs, mm-hmm. um, or we shouldn't see, um, you know, any sort of symbol of of another religious faith um, in the public sphere. So it really is focused on privileging Christianity um, over and above other religious faiths, and so religious freedom is usually more religious freedom for me and people like me rather than for everyone. Um, you mentioned you, you've used the term ambassador a couple right. of times, and it sounds yep. like that's on a scale of, is, uh, yeah. of uh, I don't know, of committedness, I guess, uh, to Christian nationalism. How did, how did you, uh, how did y'all build that scale and what does it look like? 
Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so, so as sociologists, we love you know asking questions and building scales and all those things. Um, so, what we do in the book um, and in a lot of our work is we ask Americans uh, six different questions, and so with each question, they can either strongly disagree, disagree, agree, or strongly agree. And then what we do is we assign a number zero for strongly disagree, then all the way up to um, four for strongly agree, and as they answer these questions, we're able to add those together, and then they have a score from zero to twenty-four on our, you know, Christian nationalism scale. Mm-hmm. And so the questions we ask um, are: the federal government should declare the United States a Christian nation. How strongly do people agree that the federal government should advocate Christian values, or if they should enforce strict separation of church and state? which we actually reverse code um, so it goes the same way as the other questions. Mm. We ask them if the federal government should allow the display of religious symbols in public spaces, if the federal government should allow prayer in public schools, and then finally if the success of the United States is part of God's plan. And so as Americans either disagree or agree with this, we're able to place them on the scale. And, And what we find is that it's a little bit cumbersome to talk in terms of, you know, higher or lower on the scale. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to get past that, what we do is we created essentially four um, groups. Um, and this helps us kind of identify these four general orientations toward Christian nationalism. And so those four groups are ambassadors, which I've mentioned and, and you, you mentioned too. Um, and those are people that are at the highest um, end of the scale. Um, and then we have accommodators, and those people are just under ambassadors, you know, and they go from um, about the mean on our scale, so that kind of middle value mm-hmm. um, up to a standard deviation above. And then we have resistors, and these are people that are a little bit uncomfortable um, with this idea of a Christian nation, but they're not wholly opposed. They mostly lean towards opposition. And then finally, at the lowest end, we have rejectors. And so these are Americans that completely repudiate any notion of a close relationship between Christianity and American civil society. And so um, at the top end, you have ambassadors and then accommodators, resistors, and rejectors of Christian nationalism. And so every American we find fits into one of these four groups. And once we know where you are, that's when we're able to um, predict and understand a lot about how um, you might see the world. This is Marty Duran. You're listening to my conversation with Andrew Whitehead on Taking America Back for God. It's about Christian nationalism. We're talking about it here on Uncommentary, and we'll be right back after this. So what does it take to keep Uncommentary on the air? Uh, Technically, it doesn't cost a lot. Um, There's costs associated with editing. There's costs associated with scheduling. Uh, And there's not a lot more, but nobody gets rich off of podcasts that they do from their room in their home. Uh, It's all about getting the content out and uh, doing what people uh, like and maybe even need to hear. So I do want to encourage you to become a Patreon uh, or at least maybe a one-time gift. Uh, If you go to patreon.com slash uncommentary, you can become a supporter for as little as two bucks a month. I mean, that's like foregoing a 20-ounce Coke one time a month, and you can become a uh, $2 a month contributor supporter level. Uh, if you choose the $3 a month, you'll get a podcast logo, an uncommentary podcast logo. If you choose $5, the gold level, you'll get a mug. And these are actually pretty nice um, mugs. If you choose $10, you'll get a sticker and a mug. Uh, if you go above that, then there's other stuff. I mean, if you've just got like money to spare 
and you want to give 250 a month, we could really do some upgrades around here. Um, but the reality is it doesn't take a lot and uh, a little bit helps out a ton and makes it worthwhile. And occasionally I can take my wife out for a meal. Uh, if you'd rather do a one-time thing, you can use PayPal, paypal.me slash uncommentarypod. That's paypal.me slash uncommentarypod. Or Patreon is monthly. And these are uh, auto drafts, so you don't have to write checks. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to go back to the website. Uh, the $2 is gone. The $3 is gone. And really, uh, you never miss it. So that's patreon.com slash uncommentary as well. And now back to this week's episode. Okay, Andrew, you've um, you mentioned kind of at the outset that Christian nationalism is kind of this this blending of a form of Christianity, uh, and I think you called it the uh, a civil religion. So I've uh, I've heard about uh, an American civil religion for a long time. Um, it's kind of um, it's kind of something that pastors talk about when they're trying to talk about the difference between authentic Christianity or a biblically, you know, formed Christianity and the mm -hmm. generic version that we kind of see out in society. Um, it would include what I derisively refer to sometimes as the God of the Grammys, where they just stand up and thank God and nobody really knows which God they're talking about. Right. Um, so talk a little bit about the idea of an American civil religion and how it differs or, and is alike to what we, whether we consider Christianity or, you know, Islam or any other religion, how, what is the American, what is the American civil religion and how can we be uh, looking out for it? Yeah, I think that's a great question. It's something that we try to distinguish, um, in our book between Christian nationalism, which is what we're studying and actually civil religion itself, because those are two different concepts um, in a lot of the work that we read and cover and then that we do. And so a uh, civil religion um, usually is thought of as something that kind of represents America's dominant kind of self-understanding and then ethically what kind of guides it. And the religious influences, um, you know, come primarily from you know, the Old Testament, and it's a tradition where um, God would demand, you know, justice and mercy and humility from its people. Um, as we read the Founding Fathers, the idea of civic republicanism, um, you know, a political philosophy where they're saying we want people to be, you know, quote unquote Christian because it'll make them um, virtuous in the public sphere and the civic sphere um, and, you know, support the Constitution, all of these things. And so that is, is civil religion in one sense. Um, but Christian nationalism um, is, is something different, and they're, they're related, and so that's why I think it gets conflated. But really, Christian nationalism has been informed by historically different parts of the Bible. Um, so while civil religion um, kind of talks about and isn't you know, thinking of providence or a creator or um, God, um, Christian nationalism is is much more um, tribal in a sense, mm. where God and and almost ethnic in that sense, where it is more like you know as they see not just God generally but Christ, and mm. as they in, interpret Christ-like policies um, from the views um, in the Bible. But really, what they're drawing on is is similar to commands in the Old Testament, where um, God wants um, his people to follow his rules and to be faithful to those. And if they are not faithful, they will not have his blessing. 
um, and they need to forcefully take the world around them um, and ensure that it follows his commands. And so Christian nationalism is, is more in line with this idea where um, we are God's people, mm-hmm. we know what God wants, and we need to enforce that around us, where a civil religion tends to be much more unifying and less tribal um, in its understanding of God. Now, I, I guess, or go ahead. Uh, well, if you're continuing, go ahead, because I have a tangential yeah. question. Yeah, well, and I guess too, just to I you know wrap around your original question. So both of these then are obviously different from you know this idea of Christianity or the Christian religion, where really isn't um, associated with any particular nation, um, as as we know, America isn't mentioned in the Bible, right? Um, and so the Orthodox Christian faith is neither one of these, but both of them do draw on. Christian symbols, Christian traditions, and, and Christianity has played a key role in the formation of, of both of these, you know, civil religion and then this cultural framework of, of Christian nationalism. So does the, um, does the reliance and uh, attention given to the Old Testament, does mm-hmm. that play into how Christian nationalism views American support of very specifically the state of Israel? Um, in the sense that uh, you could make a regular diplomatic, uh, strategic, military, uh, you know, alliance argument for being allies with Israel and that, you know, they're a democracy in the Middle East. They're friendly to us. We do great business with them um, and we can aid them and they can aid us in, in some time of need. So that argument can be made completely separate from any biblical references whatsoever. And I'm sure a lot of atheists and agnostics would be happy to make that argument. It seems to me that Christian nationalism goes beyond that in supporting Israel because it's of its relationship to the Christian scriptures, and I guess actually the Jewish Bible as well, right. uh, beyond any real sense of uh, political alliance or economic strength or anything like that. It's always included, but predominantly it's this idea that Israel's the apples of the apple of God's eye and anybody who hurts Israel is going to be hurt. And so we want to be friendly to Israel, and a lot of that policy is driven by Christian nationalism rather than just political expediency. Does that sound right? That sounds exactly right, and and that's a lot of what we find, too, um, as we look at it. I think you hit the nail on the head where um, there's an aspect of Christian nationalism where, two, they, they view the future of the U.S. as contingent upon God's blessing and doing what God would want. And a part of that, as they see, is supporting and defending God's people, Israel. And if we walk away from that or step away from that, then, again, God might withdraw the hand of blessing and maybe um, bring down the hand of wrath. And so um, uh, supporting the nation state of Israel has to do mostly with this kind of eschatology of the end times and being on the right side, which is Israel's side. Mm -hmm. Now, what's really interesting is as we look at individuals and, and account for their levels of Christian nationalism, they tend to be um, more afraid or see um, actual Jewish people as a threat. So they'll be very pro-Israel, wow. but when you talk about individual um, you know, Jewish people, um, they're less, much less warm towards them. And so really it is about this kind of um, collective understanding of, of who we are as you know, God's chosen country making sure we're aligned with Israel. But when it comes to the people, um, maybe of Israel or, or Jewish people, 
um, they're much less warm towards them. That is uh, that is astounding. Because yeah, to we're, me, you're surprised too. Yeah, I, I, because to me, that really does speak to the Christian side of this equation, or, or the almost Christian side of this equation, being strongly informed by the nationalist uh, or nationalism inside uh, side of this equation, rather than the other way around. At least yep. on this particular issue, that is that is absolutely fascinating. Um, did you find, and, and I haven't, uh, I haven't received a copy of your book yet, which I hope to get soon, but, um, did you find a, uh, any kind of correlation between, um, Christian nationalism and say, cause you mentioned it kind of supports a white, uh, demographic or supported by a white demographic. Is there a, a clear correlation between, between Christian nationalism and just straight up kind of ethnic nationalism? I won't say necessarily white nationalism, but, mm-hmm. but ethnic nationalism. <clears throat> yeah, that's a good question. I think, so the first point I would want to make is that we, to, to date, we don't have any great data where we're able to, you know, in the same survey measure, um, white nationalism or mm. white nationalist, um, you know, ideology alongside Christian nationalism and be able to then compare um, how they overlap. So um, some of what I'm saying needs to be, you know, qualified with that. Mm-hmm. Um, however, what we find is that um, in, in separate surveys, you know, those individuals that might have more of a, of white nationalist or even an ethnic nationalism type of, of ideology or hold that, their views towards um, racial inequality or towards African-Americans towards interracial marriage, um, towards transracial adoption, these types of things, how they would view those um, is similar um, to how we've, we see Christian nationalists or um, Americans who embrace Christian nationalism, how they view those same issues. So I, I tend to think that those, you know, those two circles, they overlap, um, but they aren't one and the same by any stretch. Um, and so there, you know, there could be uh, individuals who are maybe more, um, you know, white nationalists and then to hold um, and may score highly on Christian nationalism. But many Americans who might embrace Christian nationalism wouldn't necessarily also be, um, you know, white nationalists mm-hmm. or kind of this ethnic nationalism. I think what's interesting, though, in our findings is that as you more strongly embrace Christian nationalism, you are more likely to be fearful of, um, you know, whites no longer being the majority in the mm. United States or not being comfortable with your hypothetical daughter marrying um, someone who is black or mm. Asian or Hispanic. Um, and so, you know, that creates kind of a, a fertile ground where, you know, some of the things that we're seeing in the, the what used to be on the fringes um, in our culture about um, white nationalism now you know, bubbling up more towards the center. And um, I think that is, is cause for concern for mm-hmm. sure. Um, what are the, what are the parts of um, an Orthodox interpretation of Christianity that kind of get jettisoned from Christian nationalism uh, to make way for the, uh, the parts that don't fit the, uh, the, mm-hmm. com- the, the combined, <laughs> the combined <laughs> structure yeah. Um, I'm assuming, and this is an assumption, so please correct me, which I'm sure you will, um, that things like the importance of, 
the gospel going to every creature, for instance, that kind of would have to take a back seat because we're more concerned about America than uh, other countries. Some things like that. So what are some what are some uh, important things to Orthodox Christianity that kind of fall by the wayside of Christian nationalism? Yeah, this this is an interesting question, and I'm sure it could cause a lot of discussion um, from many different quarters. Um, and, and two, I think it depends on the standpoint from which people are moving if, if they're, you know, identified as Christian. Mm-hmm. So I can speak for, you know, maybe myself or for other, you know, people that um, might identify as Christian. So one example is this idea of, you know, defending Christianity in the public sphere and engaging in and ensuring that you have power over others uh, in the public sphere. Mm-hmm. Now, power in the Bible, or as you look at Jesus and his teachings, um, much of, of what he did was not to come and wield power over people, um, but to set aside, I guess, you know, as the Son of God, as mm-hmm. Christianity believes, set aside that power to then come and serve mm-hmm. and wash feet and ultimately to be sacrificed right. for his enemies. Um, and so that is something that is antithetical to Christian nationalism or those that embrace it. We shouldn't die to our for our enemies, but um, you know, as uh, Tony Perkins um, famously said about Trump, that now we have Trump as an example to you know be someone who can go out and punch the bully, you know, and stand up right. for Christianity. Um, and I guess for those that don't know, Tony Perkins is the you know the head of the Family Research Council, a large and influential evangelical lobbying organization, political. Right lobbying organization. So right there, you can see this um, with respect to power, um, they want to wield it over, not, you know, serve and and die um, for those around us. Um, You could also look at boundaries. Um, So Christians, um, you know, historically, generally, maybe at at their best are saying, um, we are all God's children and see the image of God in all people um, and say that everybody has value no matter what because they're created by, by God. Christian nationalism encourages Americans to more and more um, draw boundaries around who is worthy to be American or in this country or a part of us, and then who is on the outside. And mm-hmm. so when we um, ask questions about refugees uh, from the Middle East, and again, there's no talk of you know even being of another religion and most refugees from the Middle East are actually Christians. But when we ask about refugees from the Middle East, they're much more likely to Americans who embrace Christian nationalism are much more likely to see them as a threat Um, or people that are immigrating um, from let's say uh, Mexico. Mm -hmm. They're much more likely to see them as um, a threat and dangerous criminals. And so they're not simply we, we, you know, come, but come the right way, actual fear of, some um, characterization of them that may not even be accurate. Exactly. Wow. Yeah. Be- because when we, when we gather data and look at um, immigrants in the U S whether they're il- illegal or legal. Um, and I sh- hesitate to use even the term illegal immigrants, but undocumented immigrants, right. um, their levels of um, crim, you know, the criminal levels are, are much lower yeah. than native-born Americans. And so it has less to do with empirical reality and more to do with identifying the other. And so as you look and, and the boundaries are created against the quote-unquote other, again, I think historically Christianity is is supposed to be intent on breaking down those barriers and those boundaries um, between humans um, that are so easily erected. 
Um, and so I think those are a couple examples of where Christian nationalism, you know, built on fear and, and fear of loss of a cultural, um, you know, power and those types of things where they want to, however they can, um, ensure that they still are privileged um, culturally and, and maintain that power, but then also that the group of, of who we are does not include those that we might see as, as quote-unquote outsiders. Um, and yeah, I think, yeah, hopefully those are two examples that make sense. The book is Taking America Back for God, Christian Nationalism in the United States. I've been talking to Andrew Whitehead. His co-author is Samuel L. Perry. Uh, Andrew, are you on Twitter and the social medias? Yes, we we are. We're active on there. Um, and so you can find yeah both me and Sam um, on social media kind of sharing, you know, as we find new things out about Christian nationalism or, or other stuff we're studying. Yeah. Um, yeah, we love to interact. Um, What's your Twitter handle? There. It is the at sign and then N D R E W W H I T E H E A D. So it's my name, Andrew Whitehead, but the A is replaced with the at sign. Oh, how clever. Yeah, I am. It, it makes it hard to explain, but that's what it is. So we're going to roll with that. <laughs> All right. This is excellent. I hope everybody will pick up the book. Don't forget, you can uh, order it through Hearts and Minds Bookstore. You can check it out there. And of course, it's available everywhere else. Uh, Andrew, thanks so much for being with me today. Yeah, thank you so much, Mark. I've really enjoyed it and look forward to interacting more. As always, thank you for listening to Uncommentary. If you'd like to keep up with me on Twitter, it's at Marty Duran. If you'd like to follow the podcast account, it's at UncommentaryPod. Please rate and review. And whichever podcatcher you listen to, uh, whether it's uh, Apple Podcasts or Google Play or Podbean, uh, or Overcast or CastBox, whichever one you use. Uh, if you can rate and review, then that would be awesome. It just helps with search results and gives some credibility uh, to the podcast itself. Uh, and as you have an opportunity, if you would promote it, whether you uh, put the link from uncommentarypodcast.com uh, on your Facebook page or if you tweet the link or retweet the, uh, the initial broadcast that it's live, uh, anything like that to help spread the word is always appreciated. And as always... Uh, Solidale Gloria, this is Marty Duran for Uncommentary Podcast. Mm-hmm.